There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Je m'appelle Jeff. Je suis un tueur à gages, une épée à louer. Je marche dans les rues sombres sans jamais porter de sourire. Pour un million de francs ou deux, je tuerai n'importe quelle racaille que vous voulez éteindre. Mais il y a certaines choses que je ne ferai pas, même pour de grosses sommes d'argent. Je ne regarderai pas Robo Monster. Je ne vais pas m'en sortir de l'écurie de Bumpy the Wonder Pony. Je n'admettrai pas que Jerry Lewis est un génie. Et je n'apparaîtrai pas sur le podcast Max, Mike, Film. Oh, thank you, Frenchie, and what an opening that was. But if I find out you were saying crude things, I will have you le-fired. This week, in an extension of our series on film noir called I Walk the Dark Street, we have another film from Paris, Le Samurai. Wait, a samurai film from France? What the heck does that have to do with film noir? Well, I know one person who's never going to figure that out, and that's our host, Max. Get that croissant out of my hair, Levine. Say something pithy en français, Max. Ah, French, the lover's tongue that they speak in Argentina. No, no. No? Wait. Oh, God. Uh, Hawaii? <laughs> no. Crap. I knew this. I used to know this. France! <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Omelette du fromage. Brilliant. And I... Like a native. <laughs> I am that guy who's never been near a baguette. Not without a knife, anyway. Mike, where the heck is France loose? And have we got a show for you today, but... Before we get to our usual stuff, we have a little bit of... Listener to be fair, this wasn't exactly male. One of our regular contributors via the poll question is Dave Mackman. Dave! He, and he had some extra information about last week's episode, Tokyo Drifter. Dave wrote, quote, Enjoyed your discussion of whether it is a Yakuza film or a samurai film. In the Thank you! Thank you! In the 60s, there was a genre of films called ninkyo, or chivalry. It is a Yakuza genre because the chivalrous heroes have no social status. They are not ronin who have fallen from high social status. They are lower class but internally strong, charismatic, honorable, and have a true love for their fellow man. Oh, is that legal? Oh, no, not that kind of true love for their... Oh, oh. Yeah. Anyway. In this time period, the left loved the ninkyo stories. Honor in the working classes, that sort of thing. Tokyo Drifter doesn't quite fit the Ninkyo genre, but it is closest to that, end quote. Well, there's a subgenre I'd never heard of. How about you, Max? Oh, I actually knew all about the Ninkyo subgenre, and I wanted to include it in last week's show, but Mike wouldn't let me. This from the man who thinks they speak French in Argentina. You don't know that they don't? There's probably someone there who took French. Not the point. <laughs> the point is on top uh, of your head. Uh, no, that's a, that is very cool. I had no idea... And it's like, what? What does this other country get off having film genres we don't? <laughs> well, we don't have the Yakuza, so there's part of the problem. Although that's not really a problem. You know, but yeah. Besides, it, I think we do have them here now. I think they just stay at the Holiday Inn Express, but you know. Well, yeah, but they're re they're really they eat way too much at the free breakfast. It's really criminal. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, they are smooth. <laughs> anyway, in any case, Annie, thanks. are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> Annie, are you okay? <laughs> In any case, thanks, Dave. We always love the extra information our listeners can bring us. Yeah, and, seriously. And now we can go to our poll question. Last week, the thought that was most on our minds was, what is your favorite example of one country successfully making a movie associated with another country? It was a tough question, asked Catherine Zeta-Jones, but it you was came a hard through. question. <laughs> it's your question. <laughs> Vince, over to the website, Penguins Barely Kept at Bay, wrote us between whip cracks, quote, I don't have a great answer to this question. I would say many of the spaghetti westerns were better than the American ones, though I don't like westerns, so what do I know? I find it hard to associate a genre with a specific country, since there was always so much cross-pollination in films since the silent days, and I have always watched more obscure films that cross boundaries than popular ones. So I am stumped! The Penguins are not ah. helping either as they are watching the Canadian version of Squid Games, which is just reruns of curling competitions. <laughs> End quote. Curling, ooh, that does sound that scary. brutal, vicious, bloody sport. It's unbelievable, yeah. I think Every they, so often someone will actually yell at somebody. It's the only sport I know that involves brooms. <laughs> you forgot Quidditch. That's not a sport. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, Vince. Meanwhile... Back in the States, we have Tyler Stewart with, quote, Italy, Spain for Spaghetti Westerns, Sergio Leone's Man With No Name trilogy, which established Eastwood as a star, were filmed in Spain by an Italian director, end quote. Well, there you go. Another vote yeah. for pasta. Thanks, Tyler. Dave, Dave was next with a good long bit. Quote, I think Tampopo is a great example. It is a Japanese riff on spaghetti westerns, which I think of as an Italian genre. The other example that comes to mind is, oh boy, here we go. Er kommt okay. und Stefan Gergen der Mark des Finsternis. I had to look up the yeah, pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Hansel? Which is basically the Bill and Ted genre, but so German that one can only say, Krasa! Also, Son of Great Bear, out of East Germany before the fall. It is a sprawling western where the Indians, who are the sons of the Great Bear, are trying to go west across the Mississippi to be free. Naturally, the bear totem is chosen to make subtle comments about Russia and the Mississippi is an all-too-thinly-veiled metaphor for the wall. Plus, a Yugoslavian swim star who is as Steve Reeves as one could possibly get on that side of the Iron Curtain. What's not to love? End quote. What's not to love? Nothing I can see. Thanks, Dave. Pardon my German. Nick Hoffman had this to say, quote, There are a couple that come to mind. Sergio Leone's body of work, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, etc. Oh, I didn't realize there was a sequel called The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, etc. Oh, yeah. It's The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Gooder, badder, and uglier. <laughs> Two. Japanese horror films such as The Ring, Creepy as All Get Out, Hong Kong gritty crime dramas, Chow Yun-Fat and Hard Boiled and City on Fire come to mind. Uh, and a personal favorite of mine in what I would call an action comedy, Kung Fu Hustle, end quote. Wow, lots uh, of yeah. stuff. And hey, I've actually seen most of them. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Nick. Oh, and listen to our entire episode on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Ethan Curran asked, quote, does Kill Bill count? End quote. Well, sort of. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, he's doing a samurai movie. It's basically an American... Ninja, Samurai, something, revenge movie. Sure. So thanks, Ethan. Val Coons, say, have we mentioned Q Footsteps lately? No? No, I don't think we have. Well, consider this mentioning. Anyway, she responded, quote, I'm going to go with 
for a few dollars more. If I didn't know it was Italian, I wouldn't have known it was Italian, if you know what I mean. I actually like it better than A Fistful of Dollars, because I think it has a stronger story, end quote. Well, it seems we have a definite frontrunner. Thanks, Val. Yeah. Oh, boy, deep breath. <clears throat> Adam Mark had quite a lot to say. Quote. No. Yes. Quote. The monsters are all missing, and the nightmares can't be found, and in their place there seems to be good feeling all around. Quel horror! Oh, Appropriate for the oh, season, dear. I will go with The Nightmare Before Christmas, 1993. This American what? film's aesthetic comes from across the Atlantic. Tim Burton rejects the usual wide eyes, soft features, and winsome faces of Disney's stable of past characters and went full-on German expressionism. Spindly oh, legs, impossible anatomies. Yeah. Bodies of clay, and yet the figures dance and dart light as a feather. It's a visual feast. American viewers usually only catch glimpses of this aesthetic during the Oscars when brief clips of best animated short are announced. Here they get a full-on feature-length film, which received a well-deserved Oscar nomination for Best Visual Effects, beaten only by the admittedly more deserving Jurassic Park 1993. The film is irreverent and playful. Minor characters get eaten, blown up, and disintegrated on screen. Danny Elfman's amazing score, his very best, is one of For the Ages and goes against the usual best song Oscar bid. I never get bored with it. The film screams Europe! Well, it doesn't actually scream, but... But its stop-motion animation was filmed amidst the alabaster billings of San Francisco, of all places. You can tell that Disney continues to be slightly uncomfortable with this piece, despite it being one of the best animated films of all time and a major cash cow. They prefer their mice beaming on stage and not scurrying in the shadows, I guess. But screw them! It's interesting... <laughs> <laughs> Screw them! <laughs> it's interesting that two of Disney's largest cult films, in which they had little faith, are Spooky, Nightmare, and Hocus Pocus, also 1993. Happy Halloween! End quote. The only oh, thing I had to point out regarding Adam's excellent answer was that Tim Burton only wrote that film. It was Henry Selleck who directed. But still, uh, thanks, Adam. Yeah. We always yeah. love the volumes that you write us. Absolutely. Last, not least, we have Regan McStravick, who offered, quote, Well, if... Films that take place in Seattle can be considered a genre. Nearly every one of them that's been made in the last 40 years was shot in Vancouver, so... End quote. <laughs> that doesn't count! <laughs> uh, well, I'm afraid we're going to have to disallow that answer, only because Boston and New York are also often impersonated by this Mr. Vancouver, whoever he is. Yeah. Yep. Just kidding. Thanks, Regan. How about you, Max? What's your example of your rather intricate question? Honestly, I got to go with the crowd. I think the Sergio oh. Leone westerns, and probably oh. it is uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I thought you were going to say there was a movie called The Crowd, and I was like, oh, what's no, that? No, no. <laughs> yeah. Not what, what about is, you? What, well, what is it about those that you think just is... It captures the spirit of the western so well from a guy who I don't think had ever been to the to America, or if he had, I don't. I certainly don't think he uh, went across the uh, country in a covered wagon or nothing. Yeah, it's done by someone who has really no cultural background in the Western, but he nails it. Mm. He gets the tone, he gets the look, he gets the action, it, it, and they are better than a lot of the uh, American films uh, or American westerns of the same uh, era. They're a lot more believable. Everyone's so dirty. <laughs> That's the thing. If you look at like the John Ford westerns, which are often very kind of gritty, but 
everyone is so well-groomed and so clean, and their teeth are all white and sparkling. And, and you can hear the sparkle. It's like, yeah. it's, <laughs> ting. Oh, yeah. what was that? Whereas Sergio Leone, you know, you see flies are crawling on people, and they don't notice, and they haven't bathed. And Everyone's It's like, greasy. yes, you live out in the desert. There's not a lot of extra water to go bathing in. And heck, your horse has no name. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. What about you? What's your favorite cross-cultural genre film thing? I'm going to have to issue a spoiler. Uh, so if you don't want to know, and it might affect this week's episode, to cover your ears right now, spoiler, I think it might be this movie. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Because, okay. yeah, this is generally considered, even though it uses a French term, it's generally yeah. considered an American quote-unquote genre. And... I'll just I'll leave it there because we have yeah. we have more show okay. to do and more time to fill. Anyway, that's all well and good, but there is no way we're going to make it to episode 300. Oh dear gods, that really is wow. kind of just around that the corner. Happen. Yeah. Without more answers to yet another poll question, we would love to know who is your favorite foreign, meaning non-American, actor. Please note, actor mm. can be male, female, or someone who identifies as neither. We'd love to know. Write us. And how, you might ask? Well, we might answer you, but not till the end of the episode. We have to keep selling pony-based breakfast cereal. But for now, let's on, head on over to the Trivia Corral. The facts. Budget. Absolutely no idea. Take. Ah. There was scant information about this, too. The only number I saw said 39K. I don't believe this, but I don't have any source. So uh, maybe eh. 39, 39 Korean dollars. I don't know. Thousand dollars. Oh, 39,000 <sighs> Korean dollars. Mm. If anyone out there would like to co-host a podcast, please write us at <laughs> us at maxmikemovies.com. Oh, you want a third person? Cool. Yes, that's what we want. We'd like to send you on a well-deserved vacation upstate to a farm. You can play fetch. Ooh. Oh, boy. <sighs> farm. <laughs> This film was more or less made by the director, Jean-Pierre Melville, specifically for the star Alain Delon. Interestingly, it was the first motion picture role for the star's wife, Natalie Delon. Unfortunately, the couple would divorce directly after this movie was made. Oh. Originally released in 1967, this film would be re-released in 1972, dubbed into English and retitled to cash in on that sweet, sweet godfather money. Its new name... The Godson, though it had literally <laughs> nothing to do with the Corleones, yeah. Italians, or that film. Or that term. No. Just before they finished shooting, there was a fire at the studio where Melville was shooting this film, so it had to be completed at a different studio. There was only one casualty in that fire. Jeff's bird. Oh, the bird. Yeah, we'll come back to the bird. Chirpy, no. <laughs> it was not named Chirpy. You can't prove it wasn't. I believe I can. There are a lot of directors who say that they were influenced by this movie. That list I'll includes, bet. but is not limited to, Scorsese, Tarantino, Coppola, Jim Jarmusch, John Woo, David Fincher, Berlucci, Luc Besson, and the Coen brothers. Wow. Yeah. I there, believe it, though. There's not a word spoken till nearly 10 minutes into this movie. We'll get back to that, too, I'm sure. At the beginning of the film, there's a famous quote attributed to the Book of Bushido. Yeah, that was actually written by director Jean-Pierre Melville. Uh, the quote, I didn't not know the there book. was a Book of Bushido. There isn't. Yeah. <laughs> At least not written by a French movie director. <laughs> 
uh, you must take your katana every morning and polish it until it is mirror finish. You know, there's no book of Bushido. Uh, at least not again, not by Jean-Pierre Melville. This is John Woo's favorite movie. He liked it oh. so much, he sort of remade it and called it The Killer. Jarmusch's... Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. A light's coming on, right? I can kind of see that. Yeah. I could see that. Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog is said to be also heavily influenced by this film. Did you ever see that? I did, and I kind of get that. Yeah. yeah. it's that's, a, that's an indie film. It didn't get a lot of press when it came out. I saw it when it came out. I remember it being really good, but it's Forrest yeah. Whitaker, and he does a great job in it. Although, name me a time he doesn't. Even as Saul Guerrero, yeah. I don't know how he manages that, but yeah. But... Uh, that's it. There is ah, not, not a lot of background not on this movie. Overburdened with trivia. No, here. Okay. it's other than it's generally well received. Well, by other people at least. We don't know about us. But have you got anything, Max, at all? No. Um, no, no <laughs> trivia. Sorry. Afraid of that. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. get to the plot. Jeff Costello is a hitman, a killer for hire in Paris. He's been contracted to kill a nightclub owner named Malte. Why? Who knows? But we watch as Jeff seems to commit nearly the perfect crime, except he was seen just after he shoots the victim by more than one person. So certainly his number is up, except that it seems to be part of the plan. As he and 400 other usual suspects are brought in, <laughs> he seems to be almost taunting the police as he's pulled in wearing the very identifiable hat and raincoat the killer was seen to be wearing. But not so fast! He was also seen to be in the company of his girlfriend, Jane, who swears he was with her till well past the murder. And after that, oh, he was totally with this group of very suspect card players, which is where he's arrested. And on top of that, a man who didn't even know Jeff was seeing his girlfriend realizes that he too saw Jeff coming out of Jane's building pretty much when he said he was leaving. Well, so it can't have been Jeff. Except the police chief knows it is. The one weak part of the story is that the club's main singer and piano player saw Jeff face to face. But she's denying it was him, so there's no evidence to hold him. Jeff leaves, shakes his police tail, and heads out to collect his money. Ah, but it seems his employers have decided that his being picked up, even if it was part of Jeff's plan, was one step too many. They attempt to kill Jeff instead of paying him. Their gunman fails. Jeff gets away. And now he's running from two different parties. It's a race against time with Jeff trying to find the identity of his employer so he can exact revenge while also trying to avoid the cops who are doggedly determined to bring him in and catch him with some sliver of evidence. With help, Jeff manages to find the mystery employer, manages to kill him, but there doesn't seem to way he's going to get away scot-free. And so he arranges things so that this story will come out the way he wants it to. It's a tense 105, folks, and the best is yet to come! The film. So, Max, did you see this yeah. when it came out? <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard of this movie before we started doing this series. Yeah. yeah I nope, understand no it was one. very big with the under eights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a kid's movie. Yeah. You, you didn't see this right before going to see um, Yellow Submarine? No? I did not. I did not. <laughs> so, you'd never heard of it at all? No. Okay. No idea it existed. I've never heard of any of these people. I know nothing about them except that I imagine they may possibly be French. Yeah. And my God, this is a French movie. Is it? The opening shot, It's there is a guy lying on a bed in a dingy <laughs> hotel room smoking and not moving with a bird. 
The only thing that would have made it more French is if he were lying on a pile of baguettes and under a blanket of cheese. My first note was, uh, we are all born as Stradigrade. Yeah, this is like, hello, Jean-Paul Sartre, calling Jean-Paul Sartre. I'm busy right now being dead. Yes. Yeah. I was like, wow. And, you know, I, I do have to say, uh, I am not... I got to preface this. I'm not a huge fan of French cinema. Mm. This is purely a taste thing. It, mm. and I have had. It's probably because I've been ruined by American films. Mm. I find the pacing in most French movies dreadfully slow. The polite call it languid. Okay. That didn't bother me with this movie. Yeah, me neither. Spoiler. Um, well, but we'll get back to that just because. Yeah. Let's, I mean, as best we can, let's talk about the performances. First yeah. off. Okay. The bit that I said earlier about there not being any dialogue for 10 minutes, that will be a recurring theme through this film. There is very little dialogue. I want to say yeah. there's probably in total 10 pages of dialogue for the whole film. Maybe. Yeah. And especially the main characters. Well, the commissar, der commissar, don't turn around. <laughs> Francois he, Pellier, which he I swear talks, sounds like a character from Murder by Death. <laughs> it does, Monsieur Pellier. <laughs> yeah, no, it, do, it does, but uh, he does a, a fair amount of talking. He, he, I, I think he probably has the most dialogue of any character. Yep. Interestingly, Jeff hardly talks at all. Well, Francois Pellier, apparently, he's a comedic actor. He was cast against type. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's very against type. Yeah. And I, you know, he's totally believable as um, Chief Inspector Hadley. I'm sorry, Le Com- <laughs> Com- Commissaire. Yeah, that's a deeper. He's just commissaire. the Commissar. He doesn't have a name. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. A lot of people don't have names in this, you know. The the piano player is simply La Pianiste. Yeah. Well, and then we have the art star here, Alain Delon. He's apparently a very big name in French cinema. I, I obviously don't know him for anything, but he has got this, re- and he's not tall he's not impressive to me though he's got real presence and he's got this air about him of oh uh, may i take your coat and hat i'm sorry i didn't mean to touch your coat and hat like he's got this this thing and i don't even know if that's his usual character or not but no idea but he has a real air of menace about him and also just in he can do the intense stare (laughs) with those big blue eyes really well yeah loyal it's blue I believe is correct. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought he was terrific. and He was. You can tell. The funny thing is, is you can tell he's not tall. I want to guess no. that. I'm going to guess Alain Dorant is probably 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, Does not matter at all. Um, Francois Perrier, we talked about as the Le Commissaire. Yep. Uh, Natalie Delon, who plays Jane, for me, she has this sort of quiet smolder, but she also has yeah. this core of confidence. Like she is, she's very tough. Yeah. I mean, the commissar who basically violates every one of her civil rights, right. tossing her apartment. He's got no warrant, no justification. He has also no evidence. Mm. He, I mean, except his gut. He knows. He's like, I know Jeff Costello did it. Like how? Yeah. You've got conflicting eyewitness reports, and eyewitness reports, by the way, are the thing the police hate the most right. because. They are the most conflicting, and they're the easiest for a defense attorney to rip apart. He's got nothing. Mm. He's what, like, we found three other guys. They were all carrying guns. Jeff wasn't. Mm -hmm. We have nothing. No fingerprints, no nothing. And he's all over Jane, and she's just like, no. (laughs) Yeah. 
He even talks about things like, you know, these things could go badly if it was known that you were maybe a prostitute because I'd have to give you over to the vice squad. You know how they are. And he's like, really? And she's just like, finally, I think there's some line I can't, I have to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly. But he's basically saying, all I need you to do is just tear up your testimony. We'll pretend it never happened. I won't talk oh. to the vice squad. And she says, so you're asking me to perjure myself. Yeah. And which, is, of course, is not true because, of course, Jeff was yeah. not with her. But she just turns it around and she's like, nope, not going to help you. And it's not a huge part. And I'm going to come back to this, but it's a familiar part in a way to a movie we may have talked about, oh, I don't know, last week. But <laughs> I really like her. She's sexy without being exploited. Nope. She's confident. She knows what she wants. She is not regretful about the fact she's seen two men. She doesn't give a crap. Why should she? And I, it's it's hard to judge because we don't speak French and she has so little. But I thought she was really good. Yeah, I thought she was terrific. I'm kind of sorry. We we know nothing really about her relationship to Jeff. They talk about it like they're friends, but it's clear there's something more. You sort you you expect her like when he's leaving. I figure oh he's going to collect Jane and they're going to go off together. No, okay, bye, um, what? No, and yeah, we'll get back to the ending, but yeah, well, the comparisons, there's yeah, other stuff then, we'll get to. We only have like, I only think know. of there's only one other actor to really talk about because the rest of them have such little parts that it's not yeah, worth you, it, but Kathy Rosier, yeah. I really liked her. She mm, has Talk this, about someone with a smolder, wow. Oh man, just the, she just gives these looks and it's not even like, Again, she's very in control of her situation, of her place, she thinks. And she's not given anything away. She's the one who literally comes face to face with Jeff as he's leaving the murder. And they yep. lock eyes. And it, at, the, at that point, it's like, who's going to look away first? I honestly don't know. And she, I think he actually turns away. And there's a tiny bit of fear in her. But I think after that moment... She's not afraid anymore. She's yeah. curious, like, is he going to come back or not? But I don't know that there's a lot of fear with her. And she plays the piano with a slow right hand. <laughs> <laughs> she does sing, too, doesn't she? Uh, no, no, we don't hear her sing. Plays. Okay. She plays the piano and the pipe organ. Which still works in a jazz reason. quartet. Or, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it still works. It's just, I'm sorry, when she's playing it, all I can think of, all skate. This is an all <laughs> skate. Girls only, men leave <laughs> the rink. Okay. Have you ever gone <laughs> roller skating? I've never been roller skating. Oh, that's No, that's ice skating. Or I, whatever. Yeah, I've gone ice skating, it's sure. It's both, Max, just so you know. Yeah, it's both. And, yeah I suppose. And yes, they did play organ music. <laughs> That's only at the ball game. They don't play ball at the skating rinks. They do not. No, they do not. Well, you know, one day I'll go. No, I won't. And the and the rest. Everyone's acting is fine. It's yeah, they're all very good. You know, I like the mechanic too. Yeah, he like did. He actually felt like we need someone to play the mechanique. Why don't we just get a mechanique and just give him a few lines and he'll be fine? For all I know, he was the director. I don't know. He was. We would pay him in wine. He barely says anything, and I think he doesn't say anything until the end of the film, and it seems totally reasonable. No, no, he does. Yeah, that's true. This is the last time. That's all he says. Yeah, and you believe it, and we don't know why, but I don't think we can get away with the comparison. This has reminded me a lot of Tokyo Drifter in that. Oh. Well, not right. in a bad way, but it reminds me in that 
we have to rely entirely on the performance because the characters themselves are not telling us anything. Yeah, there is no exposition. There is no explanation. We have to fill in so much information with our heads. And dear gods, is that a breath of fresh air. I am so yeah. tired of, it was 25 years ago. It was a bleak landscape. Bleak, a word meaning that without color or hope. <laughs> oh, for what's sp- It was after the apocalypse. <laughs> there was nothing to do but look for beer. <laughs> I am so tired of being treated yeah. like an idiot at the movies. Yeah, it is nice not to be spoon-fed. No, and you, it, because there's like almost no dialogue, you have actually a lot of time, and I don't know if this worked this way for you or not, but I had a lot of time to, in the back of my head, fill in any little details that might have been bothering me that weren't being stated. Like, who mm. is Jeff? How long has he been there doing this? My answer was, Jeff is his own person. He's been doing this for a while. He's really good at it. He's somebody you call when you need this sort of thing done anonymously and everything's taken care of. Who's the the lounge singer or the piano player so she doesn't sing? She's somebody who's in deep with something that she probably doesn't want to be involved with, but has found a way to keep her head above water. Just all these things, like just the performances and the setting for me kind of filled themselves in. Am I right? Mm. I don't know, but it was enough for it to work for the movie. Yeah, we didn't need all the detail. So Not handed to us, yeah. No. So again, like Tokyo Drifter, we have to take everything from the performances, and even though we're reading subtitles, I didn't have a problem with that. Also, like Tokyo Drifter, the relationship between the main character and the main female lead is almost exactly the same. It's like, uh, no, I cannot stay with you. We cannot be together <laughs> because, of course, things and stuff. The answer, stuff as always, is tobacco. <laughs> and I think that the way, the reason that he leaves is different, but it's very similar. He doesn't yeah. have anybody that close in his life, anybody that knows him that well. And nope. so he... I, I'm more willing to believe that he spends time with Jane than Tokyo Drifter spent with, what's her name? Yeah. But that's because I don't remember Japanese. Yeah, exactly. Japanese <laughs> names. Eh. What was his name? I don't know. Oh, that's right. Uh, it was Iron Phoenix. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Tetsu Phoenix. Yeah, but also tets- Tetsuya. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, or Tetsu for short, which, as I said, I think means iron. But yeah. mm. I don't know the French word for iron. Iran, I think is French. Fair. Vale to Midland? No. Uh, no. So, yeah, as far as the performances go, they all seem really solid to me. Yeah, the um, acting is really terrific in this. It's just, there, there are no weak points. Yeah, no, not at all. Even people who have one line are fine. Uh, speaking of the noir aspects, boy, uh, nice apartment right out of Better Shame oh. and Garden. <laughs> Now that's very French. I mean, you got to remember the buildings there are like in which in what I assume is Paris. Oh yes, it's. Paris. I don't know Paris well enough to say, but yeah, Paris. You got to remember those buildings are literally eleven thousand years old. Well, the, the, these were built by you know woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers. These are eight. A lot of the buildings in there are very old, and you can one of the ways you can tell. Nobody's got a friggin' elevator. <laughs> it's all for oh, so many stairs. There is one elevator in the film, but it's in a newer building. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The fun part is when you see when they've actually shoved an elevator in, and it's literally yep. like two square feet, it's the size of a, <laughs> a phone booth, an old phone booth, literally. Yeah, yeah I, I've been in a building like that in France. Well, and the thing is, is that they have all these historic buildings. Like, ah, we cannot tear that down because someone famous looked at it once. Oh, that is history. We cannot it. tear that down. That is Claude. We always shoot. <laughs> 
Claude. Ah, <laughs> uh, they once made fromage there. Ah, uh, fromage. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they still smoke. I don't know. But yeah, and, and mm. this actually appealed to me because I'm sitting there looking at the streets and the, some of the streets are still cobbled and they are, let's see, for want of better wood, they look like the incoming tide. Like there's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's peaks and valleys and I'm like, ah, just like Boston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and none of them are straight. And well, of course, no. parts of Paris are straight streets, but yeah, it's very, very European. It's very gray. Um, yeah. it's very you notice one thing I liked is they don't do, you can always tell an American movie that's filmed in Paris because it's always, here's our shot of the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah. Here's the shot of the Eiffel Tower. Here's this, here's that. Nothing. You wouldn't know the Eiffel Tower existed watching this movie. You wouldn't know the Arc de Triomphe was there. No, the only way you know it's Paris, besides I think they won't say it, is when he goes into Le Metro, that one of the, the, metro, one, one of the stations is Champs-Élysées. Champs yeah. So you know it's actually Paris. But it's like, no, we're not going to see the, the Tower of Triomphe. We're not going to see any of these things. We're going to the dirty, lousy stations of the Metro <laughs> nobody likes. This one. Man. I like the fact... I do like the fact that he, one of his things is he knows the metro like the back of his hand. He knows every line, every stop, and they can't follow him. <laughs> well, they have my God. By the way, do you notice how much, how many resources the com, the commissar yeah. puts out there for this guy that he's following on a hunch? He's got dozens and dozens of officers, cars, radios. Yeah. 1967 high-tech transmitters well, with arsenic gallium switches, and and he still gets away. I love the fact that when they go to bug Jeff's apartment, they go in and they're like, oh, we're going to hang up this, this listening device, and it's the size of a walkie-talkie. <laughs> it's and like they, a little transistor radio. I was up. like, is that a bomb or well they put it up and they're like what happens if i move the curtain ah look there was a transistor radio hanging from the side and so they're like i well, still like we'll use the little one which is still like yeah, oh. the size of an iphone like it's like the size of a pack of cigarettes yeah. it's very obvious there's a little antenna on it yeah. a red button but, but it didn't matter because the bird told him well the bird squealed. Chirpy gave it away. <laughs> well, he walks in and Chirpy's all upset. And it's like, yeah, oh, something yeah. happened. And just little details like that. It's like, this guy's been there. He's done this. He knows what he's doing. And he can tell that when was, things have been changed. And that was another detail that's very French and not American in that he doesn't look around and then go immediately and finds it. No. He looks through the drawers. He checks the other window. He looks in the in the wardrobe. He looks, he actually, and we see every moment of him looking. Yeah. It's like we see every moment of, I didn't know it was the police at first. I thought this was the other criminals who were mm -hmm. planting the bug. Right. Oh, I knew it was the we police. We see the whole procedure. But the thing is, is that if I started thinking about it while he was doing it. And it's like, why isn't he checking anywhere, you know, more Heidi? And it's like, oh, because it has to be able to be heard. So it has to be somewhere near the surface. It can't be anywhere like deep in a coat pocket in the closet because it won't. Although yeah. here is. <laughs> bang, bang. You know, so. I also have to say, I can't, I, those his neighbors must absolutely hate that bird because that bird never friggin' shuts up. It really doesn't. But of course, all yeah. it's trying to say is either one of two things I'm lonely or let me out. Because yeah. it's just a little bullfinch. It's not even like a bird I would think that most people would Not keep. a canary or anything, yeah. But uh, 
I will say also that besides the fact this takes place in Le Dreary, Le Grey, Le Dark, Le Shadowy, it feels noir. Oh, dear God, does, does this feel noir? He really dresses the part. I Columbo with a better hat. <laughs> I Part of me, I'm sitting there watching, is like, why are you wearing a belted up trench coat and a fedora in the ni- late 1960s exactly the way you are? And I'm like, yeah. oh, dear gods, and why did you take it with you to the card game? Because, like, it's that's what they saw. And, I, and then we see, oh, he did it on purpose. Yeah. And I actually love the way he kind of taunts the police. It's literally like... Yeah, he's playing with them. Oh, totally. His expression never fakes, it changes. He looks right at the witnesses when they're doing the, um, the little lineup. Yeah, I, I gotta say, the way the French do the interrogation and the witness lineup is very odd. It's just an, like a little auditorium. And everybody can see everybody. Yep. There's no anonymity. And it's like, okay, that guy, is that him? <laughs> Well, I also love that basically the criteria for picking up usual suspects is anyone in a trench coat and a hat or (laughs) one or the other, bring them in right now. And there's like this auditorium full of suspects. One of whom is like some guy whose his only crime is he's out with his wife. Might not be his wife. And they bring his wife up (laughs) on there with him. Now, was the person you saw two people? <laughs> well, also, it just proves how polite the French are because there are times when the suspects and the witnesses are kind of mingling or they're, they're brought yeah. near each other and nobody suspects that one of these people might do anything to harm the witnesses. And the witnesses also, aren't even scared. And they are, you notice the uh, suspects aren't yelling about their rights and not screaming for lawyers. Nope. They're not blustering. They're just like, uh uh, I wasn't doing happens. anything else today. I'll come. <laughs> it is Saturday. What else do I have to do but brought into maybe be a suspect for a murder? So. As long as there is tobacco, I am fine. <laughs> have you a baguette? Uh, <laughs> or cafe. I like a cafe, please. Well, you do have to remember that's the other thing when they're yelling at him and saying, Yeah, I know you did it. The French use the Napoleonic Code, oh? which is you're guilty until proven innocent. Oh, I just thought it meant you the were short. Na- <laughs> no, it means you have to walk around with your hand inside your shirt. Yeah. That uh, no, it's uh, your the burden of proof is on the defense, not the prosecution. So they really can throw out uh, accusations at anyone they want. Well, maybe that's why he gets away with treating her the way that he does, or the commissaire treats Jane the way he does. Yeah. I got to say though, it's really an interesting thing because by making the police have to use brutal tactics like that, the director manages to keep our sympathy with the hitman, who is yeah, with the professional killer. <laughs> yeah, who is who is very much like I'm not doing this because it's just I was paid two million francs to kill this guy, so I killed him. Thirty dollars. <laughs> hey, no, 1967. That was actually a lot of money. Well, Frank, I don't know. I honestly, have, I didn't bother to look it up. I should have done that. I wish I had. I tried to. I don't buy what the the yes, this the website I used. I don't think gave me a right because it's it's. That two million francs in 1967 would be the equivalent of two million dollars in 2015, and I don't think that's right. Mm, you know, because it was probably something like a hundred k back then, and that probably is right. And okay. one of the other ways that we can remain sympathetic, empathetic, not empathetic, sympathetic to uh, Jeff is the person that he killed is probably not a very nice person. I don't think he's well, just we a no cl- idea. We but, don't. Yeah. But we get the impression that this club owner, Malte, is just kind of not a great person. 
See, that's why I thought the pianist didn't identify him. I thought, oh, he was probably treating her badly or he was a jerk and she just didn't care that someone killed him. Well, Although it turns out she may be wor- may or may not be working for the guy who hired him well, to kill Marty. And here's the thing that I did not realize. The guy who hired him is her husband. Oh, I didn't realize that I either. I didn't either. When I was doing trivia, I found out that that's why she lives in the same house he does. Oh, wow. Yeah. So th- there's a little twist towards the end, a little bit of a spoiler. Hey, it's in the opening theme. Uh, yeah. It turns out that his last gig, Jeff's last gig, is supposedly to kill his the wife of, of the guy who hired him in the first place, who is the piano player. And basically what happens is when Jeff controls the ending of the film, as it were, because I won't give away that actual last part. He basically decides how he's going to deal with that contract. And I, more or less, one good turn deserves another. Um, and uh, you notice one of the things we see, and it's very similar to me with like the samurai movies, mm-hmm. is even though Jeff doesn't do a great deal in terms of action or violence or whatever, mm-hmm. that what he does, he's blindingly fast. Yeah. I mean... There is. There are two scenes where we see his hands out of his pockets, empty. Someone pulls a gun, and we don't even see him draw it. Yeah. Suddenly, he's got a gun, and he shoots the other person first. Yeah, he doesn't throw it up in the air and then do a somersault, a, a triple roll, cow and, then and catch <laughs> it, and then shoot. <laughs> well, the, yes. the feeling in this film is very different than yeah. Tokyo. Oh Dark yeah. Day. I honestly can't tell if there was any cross pollination. Thank you, Vince. For this or not, it, there were a lot I would of be things that, that felt familiar, but not in a way like I'm copying this person. I really would be surprised. I don't know how many Japanese films were released in France, you know, in the 60s. Well, the title of this film is La Samurai, so who knows? Yeah, well, yeah, but they knew about the Samurai, and there were some of the Kurosawa movies that made it over, but... yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, there was something in the background that uh, proved something to me that I actually thought was false, but apparently, Evian, it's French! Did you see the bottle of Evian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it went back that far, but I mean... Yeah, it's a lot older than we think. The big joke was, oh, Evian, that's just naive backwards. It's like, well, it yeah. is, but apparently yeah. it is also French water. Hopefully it's not water de toilette, so, but whatever. <laughs> There's one scene, there's one shot I really liked, and there's a transition. There's one point where the crime boss is pacing back and forth when they're talking about Jeff and what to do with him, and they do this, like, very quick cut, and it's the police chief doing the exact same pacing. Yeah, did the same pace. I did. That was a nice touch. Speaking of which, we often don't go to this, but what did, what did you think about the direction in this film? I thought it was really good. I, I Again... I don't quite understand how he did it because there are so many scenes that seem so, like, don't miss a rung, Cy. <laughs> you know, every I'm going to show you every step of him, him planting a radio in in his apartment, which you could have done in 30 seconds. Right. But it's like a two, three-minute scene or just going places. But it doesn't feel slow. No. It's, I don't know if it's that he, they ratchet up the tension or you're curious. I think part of it is we don't get a lot of information, so we're busy trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. But I thought the direction was remarkably good. Well, I, I a lot of never West, felt dull, bored. A lot of other Western directors seem to think the same thing because that list. Yeah. There's even people. I left some people out just because I'd never heard of them. Uh, doesn't mean they aren't well known. I just you know I was like I gotta sure. trim this down. I also like the fact that he doesn't rely on weird 
camera angles. Like, there really aren't any angles that just stare out at you and go, oh, look at that, it is an off angle from above 30 degrees and blah, 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 blah. No, it's all very plain. And it's very, it is slow moving, but it's intense and interesting, but not intense like, I can't watch this film, it's driving me nuts. Another French film that I saw, which was called uh, Wages of Fear. Oh, dear gods. That is a film that is like an hour and a half long, and it's nothing more than a guy driving a truck full of nitroglycerin over a mountain pass to help put out a a well fire. Yeah, it is the most tense movie I've ever seen. And it's a film that makes you kind of squirm, like, could you please have a moment where people are just having, like, coffee or something? (laughs) Because... Yeah, it's I I don't get it because this film is longer than Tokyo Drifter, but to me felt shorter than Tokyo Drifter. Yeah, it does not. You don't feel the length in this movie. I mean, it's like you say, like 105, but I yeah, and I don't. It's remarkable. And there's no dialogue, so it's not like or singing, (laughs) you know. No, no singing. There's some piano playing. No. No, and the the directing, the editing is really good. The movement from scene to scene is really good. And this is the tail end of the French New Wave. We talked a little bit about that last week. The French New Wave and the Japanese New Wave, which was basically going from a studio-based system to a more auteur-based system, i.e. the filmmaker is creating something and it's not the business of anybody else to get in his way. And I am not familiar with another Melville film, unfortunately. It's not the, to my knowledge. But now I'm interested. Um, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I've never seen a film move this slow keep my attention so well. And I had seen this when I, in the, it was another one of those films when I had COVID and I was not in my right mind and I somehow popped into this. I think it's because I used oh. to have the Criterion channel for a short while. Uh. And this was a film that popped up as being, you know, if you like this, you'll like that. And I was like, ah, what the hell? I'm sick. I'll watch it. And I had, I remembered it. And when we were doing noir, I'm like, oh, we should watch that film. Now, we don't know if it's good or not because it's French, which everyone knows means, <laughs> oh, actually, that doesn't mean anything, but what, whatever. Uh, I did note a, a little, um, I think Luc Besson was one of the people in that list, a uh, familiar Luc Besson character relationship here, um, which was Leon the professional, whereas Jeff has his yeah. build, Leon has his plant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. But remember how, how Leon was always like very careful with the plant every morning he yep. put it out on his fire escape and every evening he took it in lest it get cold? It, yep. It's a. What do you think about that relationship? Because I think it's actually meant to tell us something, and there is something I, I th- wish that he had done, but he didn't do in this film. Oh, you wanted him to let the bird go? I did. <laughs> yeah, because he just leaves the bird, and you know he's not coming back. Yeah. And just sort of looks at it and like, okay, bye. Yeah. Uh, Tweet. I think it's the bird is his only kind of connection. He seems to be completely alone otherwise. Even his relationship with Jane is clearly very limited. Yeah. It's almost like the bird represents his only attachment to nature. Right? I thought it was just his only attachment to another living thing. Well, that's what I mean, though. Like, oh, everything okay. else in his life is an artifice. Like, I, I wear these noiry clothes. I am a hitman, which only exists in human society. I, you know, I take this money. What does he do with the money? He's not spending it on his apartment. It looked... Remember the first thing we see? He's looking at a burnt 500-franc note. Yeah. I was wondering if he just burns it. I wonder why. I don't know. That's another thing we're not told. Yeah. What, what, I thought the burnt money thing was going to come up. 
Yeah. But it doesn't. We never know. Yeah, because we just really don't know anything about him. But again, it's... Because we use that term cipher a lot, and often cipher yeah. means the character that is not as fully fleshed out so that the audience can place themselves in place of that character and uh, leave he, the movie. He's a cipher in the other term, a mystery. Yeah. but He's a code we can't crack. But I still think we understand him. I know we talked about to this To a degree. Earlier, but I, just the way I feel about that, that particular character. There's also a really nice thing that the... Uh, director melville does and that is that he completes a circle in a way because we start the film going to the club and that's how we end the film as well in fact you know everything ends at the club yeah and the other thing i can see sort of the samurai he's got his code he does that he does what he's told what he's hired to do Mm -hmm. he doesn't try to welsh out of it and also he's concerned about jane to a certain degree he's like i'm gonna fix this don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. I'm going to take care of this. And that's what he does. And he's smart because he doesn't tell her what he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like in Tokyo Drifter where he's like, uh, I'm no good for you, baby. So you're better off without me. I'm getting on the train and leaving and never coming back, which is what he does. And he goes off to be best buds with um, shooting star. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I keep making these. Ah, the double cross. Mailed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not not really that a surprising a thing, especially in noir films, but not surprising in that line of work, right? I, I also do like that the commissioner, the commissar, his first he basically says round up the usual suspects. Yeah. In effect, pretty and you know whether or not that was to have anything to do with Casablanca, I don't know. But yeah. that is a word that is also French. No, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually wondered if we should call the film Le Hitman, but I guess yeah. they're they're really talking about that code and that lone swordsman, gunman sort of thing. I'm really glad this there were no fits more. I mean, the whole thing we were we were talking about uh, with Tokyo Drifter, that what is it, uh, Ninkyo? Yeah. That genre, it's kind of like that. Yeah. This guy's a hitman, but he has, you know, connections. He, he has honor and uh, discipline, and he's got the kind of samurai code. Well, and if they were smarter, they would have left him alone because he obviously yeah. is able to complete his task. He obviously is good at it, so he must have been doing this for a while. He must have a reputation. It's like we're not even clear exactly why they want him dead. The one thing they say is that, oh, he got picked up by the cops. That's too risky for us. We And the thing is, is like he doesn't know who you are. Yeah, he only knows the go-between. They make that very clear. You didn't need to do that. That was foolish. I'm pretty sure that that character's name was Le Stooge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, one little detail I forgot to mention that I really liked is um, he's very precise, and he has very specific tastes. And what I mean by that is Jeff really likes Citroën, and he likes him so much that that's the only car he steals. Why? He has a key ring with every key possible for a Citroën. I think it's the D60. Honestly, I don't think that was a question of taste. I think that was practicality. Because you're not going to carry around a different ring of keys for every model of car. He picked a very common one. He picked one that people won't remember because there are so many. It was a good choice. It Also, does no one in Paris lock their car doors? Maybe that's a comment. I don't know. Uh, the thing is, every, both of them. He just walks up, and goes, "Oh, it's open. Good." Well, he tries. He watches one guy, and he sees him not lock it. And the other yeah, one, he actually the, tries. 
The thing mm-hmm. I'll say, though, and I've never got to ride in one. I take it back. I did once as a kid, but I don't remember it. That yeah. particular car, a lot of people think it was one of the best engineered cars ever. Apparently, the really? ride in those cars is unparalleled. One of the reasons is it's got a pneumatic suspension system, meaning when you come to a really deep puddle you really shouldn't drive in, you can actually lift the car up It's because huh. it's on pneumatics and drive oh. through. And, wow. Yeah, apparently they've got decent power. Their the ride is on parallel. It's really fun to drive. Um, yeah, I've ne- I I really oh he likes him some Citroens. Yeah, Who knows? why not to take something decent? And of course it's France. There's Citroens every. You cannot wing a dead cat without hitting a Citroen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I keep doing that. I yeah. don't know why. But I think uh, that's <laughs> yeah, it. We should get good. to that part about yeah. where we did we rip this part, yeah. this film a new one because boy did it. Yep. The finish. So, Max. Yeah. How much did you hate this film? Uh, hate is a waste of time. <laughs> this film is simply a delay in the darkness that engulfs our soul every day. You forgot to puff. I'm using chewing tobacco. Ugh, that's Ding. not French. <laughs> it is gross, though. Pick that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. So, what'd you think? What'd you think? Yeah. What'd you think? I thought this was amazing. I thought this was really good. Uh, again, as I say, this is a film that defied my expectations about French films in general. Uh, again, I'm not saying I don't like the French films. It's just you really have to, okay, we're at strap in. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> it, it's some, They tend to feel longer. This can be good. I like some of it are kind of great at feeling dreamy or languid or strange. This was a really good... Good film noir. Mm. I mean, solid performances. They made you work for it. They didn't treat you like you were an idiot. They didn't do a Raymond Chandler of, aha, but here's what really is going on Uh eight times. I thought you meant like Clue. (laughs) That Well, that too. But to make a long story short. Too late. Too late. Uh, I thought this was terrific. I, I, I really did. I, I also kind of want to see more by this director. I want to know what other stuff he did. So this film is technically listed as neo-noir. Would you call this neo-noir or just plain noir? I would go with neo just because regular film noir gives you a lot more information. You know, there's no voiceover. There's no exposition. It takes place during the day. <laughs> there's... There's color, although it's very washed out. <laughs> I was it. There is like his yeah. eyes are like one Te- of the most stunning colors in it, and they're blue. Yeah, well, they, technically it's in color, although you can barely tell. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I definitely. I think this is more neo noir because again, there. This guy isn't a good guy. He's a hitman. He's not a detective. He's not an insurance salesman. Well, yeah, but he is a criminal. I, I'm going to argue there and say that uh, the insurance salesman wasn't exactly a good guy either. No, no, he wasn't a good guy, but he had a he was a standard profession. He was on he was societally on the side of the angels. Mm. This guy isn't. I don't think He's I would call insurance companies the side of angels, but okay. <laughs> you get you know what I'm saying. More or less, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think this. Uh, it has a lot of elements in common with noir, but I think it, it builds on it. What about you? You say you saw this before while in admittedly a disease-addled stupor. Yeah. Well, I see a lot of things in that state, <laughs> which is why I've seen Robot Monster so many times. Um, I mean, I got to say that one thing is we, and this is a really big 
downside to this film is there is literally no connection between this film and Robot Monster. <laughs> <laughs> to be like Le Humain, to live like Le Humain. Yeah, in my, I saw, I think it would have been last year when I'd got sick um, and uh-huh. watched a bunch of films like this and this popped up and I was like, ah, eh, why not? And I too was kind of stunned. It's not just good, it's really good. I don't understand the direction. I should have been bored off my ass. I really yeah, should have. Yeah, I don't know how he did it. That just baffles me. There really is almost no action in this film. There's action in the beginning when Jeff shoots the guy. It's really short. There's some it's action. It's a brief exchange with the thug on the bri- on the bridge. And then at the very end, like, that's it. Yeah, and the action, we're, we're not talking car chase here. Yeah, he, no. he drives a, a stolen car, but... It's literally down like two streets, and then he gets the license plates changed, and that's it. Yeah. We have almost no dialogue, right? So the, just the little bits of things that are spewed up, most, most, mostly by Le Commissaire, right? And he's just sitting there basically going, we got to get this son of a bitch. <laughs> Come on. <sighs> and Feely. And, of course, he's also getting all uptight about a murder of somebody which may or may not be an upstanding citizen. But, you know, he obviously takes his job very seriously. Yeah. Performances are in a foreign language, so we have to just gauge by words yeah. at the bottom of the screen. But man, this film is tight. It is yeah. intense. I didn't feel the need to look away or get up and go do something. It's just, and I actually consider it noir. I don't think it even, I think what they've done is they've boiled down noir, basically said, what's the minimum we need to be noir? So everything's nice and thick and juicy like au jus or something. And that's what <laughs> well this marbled. is. Yeah, well, well marbled. Well, let's wag you, but whatever. <laughs> I think that's what this is. I think this is like, honestly, one of, if not, the best noir films we've seen in this series. Um, and that's, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's very different because stuff like uh, the big, I think uh, the big sleep has that killer dialogue and the long goodbye has its unusual atmosphere. Uh, I think this is a, a really good distillation of noir. I would agree with that, but I think it also has its, some very unique touch, some unique touches to it. Sure. That makes it, um, flash. So yeah, big recommendation yeah. for me. Big thumbs up. Absolutely. If you've not, if you're not somebody who generally likes foreign films, give this one a try. I mean, I liked diva yeah. a lot too. And diva was yeah, also diva intense, was but this is honest. I, as much as I like that film, this is really steps above Diva, and that's not to make Diva sound bad. It's no, just Diva is good. This is a, this is really good. Like I don't know how this didn't win Best Picture for Foreign Film in 1967. I really don't. I didn't eh. look to see what what did, but yeah, this is one of the best films I think we've ever reviewed. It had a hundred percent rating on that Rotten Fruit site, which wow. you don't get those very often. So. And obviously, all these directors loved it so much. Some of them um, went ahead and made it again, only in a different language. Yeah. So, yep. But that being said, we still have this poll question that we'd really like you to answer. That poll question being, let us know who is your favorite foreign, meaning non-American actor? Can be male, female, or somebody who identifies as neither. Heck, if you've got an actor that's a mechanical something, by all means, bring it up. We're fine to hear that. And how do you let us know? Well, first, this commercial from Bumpy Pucks here. No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Just email us at us at maxmikemovies.com. And hey, if you have other things to say besides the poll question, you can add to what could be a regular feature, which is 
listener mail. You could also go to our website, maxmikemovies.com, where we have lots of room for comments that you can make about the poll question or about the episode or episodes you'd like us to make, films you think we should see or other stuff. On Facebook, we are Max Mike Movies, where most of you answer the poll question. By all means, go ahead and leave answers there or, again, comments, etc., etc. And as far as podcasts app, yeah, we're there. Because <laughs> that's yep. how it comes down to. But we're not done. We've no, extended this series. Uh, we love to extend ourselves for you, just like a loose-leaf table. Max, what are we going to watch next week that is still within the film noir genre? Well, we're going to go way back to the 1930s for this one. One of the original noir movies. Ooh. Although this one, it's hard to see it some ways as noir. I'll be interested to see how this works because it's funny. You know, uh, there are jokes. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. Peep, there are things that will make you laugh in it. Is it dark humor? No, not really. Oh. But mostly there's lots and lots of drinking. Oh, are we going to get to yes. go do lots and lots of drinking next week, Max? We are. We're going to play the drinking game for, it's called the Thin Man Drinking Game. Oh, I can't yes, do that gonna... much drinking, Max. Yes, we're going to try. Every time a character in the movie has a drink, you have to have a drink of at least the same, the equal or slightly lesser volume. And so our next show, we will be... Uh, broadcasting from the emergency room as we are being treated for alcohol poisoning in the first 15 minutes because Nick and Nora Charles drink a lot. I think I'm going to give mine to Asta. <laughs> you, you may want to do that, but yes, it's going to be The Thin Man. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.